But we've been in this series called Emotions, and we're wrapping that up today. Uh, I'm excited. Next week, we will begin a series called um, Kings and uh, Kings. Uh, maybe a, serv- a, a series that I'm nervous about, but uh, as we move into election season, uh, one that is shaping up to be uh, one that will draw a lot of attention. That's probably the best way I could put that. Uh, thought that would be really interesting for us to explore just from a biblical perspective. What, is it, what, is it, what does it look like for the people of God to be in this relationship uh, with, uh, with a king or with a, with a leader? Uh, with the country, what is our place uh, in in the nation? And we'll be uh, it's a series that'll take us through Second Kings, and we'll be looking at how the people of God have always balanced what it is to be the people of God, uh, but also uh, living in in a nation as well. But today we're wrapping up series four of our of our of our, our part four of our series uh, emotions. Have you ever have you ever thought about? As you get older, how your emotional responses, they seem to change as you get older. That's nothing earth-shattering. You know, when you're a child, what makes you upset or what makes you or what gives you joy uh, is, is largely trivial. You know, when I was a kid, what, what made me sad was losing that, that toy that I just bought two hours ago that I probably paid $5 for. You know, that, that was sadness. You know, you, you, you lose that. What brought you joy was, was, was being able to, to find that. And so as you grow older, again, no, no earth-shattering news here, but as you grow older, your emotions change, how you react to things change. Uh, we know as you grow older, what brings you joy is going to Disney World. We all know that. Just kind of how that works. Uh, but, but seriously, the, the, the part, of the, part of the magic, I think, of Disney World, as they say, is the happiest place on earth, at least for adults, part of the magic of Disney World is seeing, is you see it through the eyes of a child. If you go to Disney World with, with your nieces, nephews, kids, daughters, son, whatever, when, when you go with them, it, it's, uh, you see it through their eyes. And you, you kind of begin to realize what gives them joy is what also uh, gives you joy as well. And, and, and sometimes I think that's, that's just life in general. With, with, as we grow older, what, what, what gives us joy or what gives us sadness has a lot to do with other people. And I know as an adult, it gives me joy when I see my kids happy, when I see them excelling, when I see them doing well, when I see them you know, put effort into something and they succeed, that gives me joy. It, it gives me sadness. It gives me sadness to see them hurting, to see them fail. You know, even though sometimes they, they have to fail, because that's the best way to learn. But you, when you see them learning those life lessons, that, that, that brings me a little, a little sadness. And so a lot of times, as we grow older, what brings us joy and what brings us sadness begins to, begins to change. Did you know that Jesus experienced both joy and both sadness? I'm going to close this door because someone might come in and get us. Thank you. you just never know who might come through. But did you know that Jesus, Jesus experienced both joy and 
both sadness. When we look at what brought Jesus joy or what causes him to be sad, we, we get to see what makes God sad, what makes God, what brings God joy. And, and I know it's hard to think about the creator of the universe having emotions because in some way that, that makes him less omnipotent. But it's true. We serve a God who, who understands human emotions. We serve a God who he himself have experienced human emotions. We see it in Jesus Christ. And so scripture describes several occasions in which we see Jesus having joy and also several occasions where Jesus is, is sad. We see several occasions and we get a glimpse at what, what brings God joy and what brings God sadness. A lot of times we will see this in a parable. Jesus will, 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 tear a, will tell a parable, will tell a story, and the main point of the parable or the main point of the story is, for, is, is to illustrate to us what brings God joy, what brings God sadness, how God operates. There's a lot of times we've seen, we've seen Jesus in Scripture physically weeping. We know that Jesus wept when he learned that his friend Lazarus had died. Knowing that he could go, that, that knowing that he would go and that he would raise Lazarus from the dead, we know, Scripture tells us, that he wept when Lazarus died. In Luke 19, we see another instance where Jesus weeps. Look at, look at Luke 19, verse 41. This is not where we'll be at uh, in entirety, but I just want to show it to you real quick. Scripture says that as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. So Jesus, he's, he's moving into Jerusalem. This is a, would have been about, this scripture would have been taken, this, this represents about six days or so before he would have been crucified. And he's gone into the city and he catches a glimpse of Jerusalem. And scripture says that he weeps over it. And if you read on in that verse, you see that why he weeps, he weeps because Jerusalem has rejected him. They have rejected the peace that he is wanting to bring. He knows that they are in for all sorts of pain and all sorts of suffering because they have failed to see. They have rejected him as the son of God, as the Messiah. They've, they've chosen to, to remain blinded to the fact that he is the son of God. And so this brings Jesus sadness. Matthew tells another instant in which Jesus was sad. Matthew 23, verse 37, where Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. We see here that Jesus, his, his desire is to bring healing. His desire is to bring wholeness to our lives. When he was walking on the earth, we, we know that he came first to Jerusalem. He came first to, to the nation of Israel. And then, of course, as they rejected him, he moved into the Gentile, into all the world. But we know that his chief and his primary mission was to bring healing, was for people to experience the love and the mercy and the goodness of God. And when people rejected that, when he would see how their rejection was going to move them and leave them down a road that they didn't want to be, that is what made him sad. So we see this in these, in these moments. Again, I told you we see the emotion of God many times in parables. Parables are these, these stories that Jesus would tell that would help illustrate the point. And so one story in particular that's very, that's very familiar to all of us. It's a parable that Jesus tells 
in Luke chapter 15. There's a man who has two sons. This man is well off. He's got all the livestock. He's got the big house. Uh, he's got all the, all the servants, all the workers. I mean, he just has a big enterprise. If you are this man's sons, then life is good. You know, you got the family business. You'll be able to take it over one day. Things are just set up for you, ready to go. But one of his sons was not satisfied. One of his sons, they, he came to him and said, Father, I want what is due to me. I want my inheritance. I'm ready to leave. I'm ready to go. If you would just give me my inheritance, I am going to be on my way. And, and this is, you, you hear that, and you're like, well, that's kind of selfish, but okay. No, when, he, when the son went to the father in this culture, when he said, I want my inheritance, go ahead and give it to me. He's saying, I wish that you were dead. I'm tired of being here. I'm tired of living here. I'm tired of living under your rules. I'm tired of living under your roof. I feel like I can go out and do things on my own. I feel like if you go ahead and give me my inheritance, I can live life the way that I want to live life. So that I wish that you were dead. So why don't you just go ahead and give me my inheritance? And he's the younger son. So he would have received only about one third of the estate. Well, the father gives him. He gives him one-third of, of the estate. He gives him his inheritance. And he goes off into a, to a faraway land, the parable says. And he goes off, man, he lives it up. He goes and parties here and does this. And he's just living life larger than as you can imagine. If you have that kind of money, it's easy to find friends. It's easy to find friends when you got stuff, right? Anybody with a boat? you got all kinds of friends, right? Anybody with some hunt land? You got all kinds of friends always calling you. Hey, man, how are you doing? You know that property out there? How about, uh, you know, so you, stuff brings friends. And so, man, he had friends. But then Jesus says a, a famine began to sweep through the land. And, of course, he had squandered all of his money. He had squandered it on on friends and probably, you know, ladies and, I mean, just this just boisterous lifestyle that he was consumed in. And this famine sweeps across his land and he begins and he reaches rock bottom. Such, he reaches such a rock bottom that he has to resort to feeding pigs. He goes to this farmer and says, Man, I don't have anything. Can I? Is there anything that I can do for you? Just to, just to put a roof over my head. And the guy says, well, you can feed the pigs. And, of course, this is being told in a Jewish culture. And you just didn't go and touch and hang out and feed pigs. That was just a dirty animal. And the kid said, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. And the parable continues. And Jesus says that the son began to come to his senses. He said, man, my, my dad's servants live better than this. Because it had gotten bad for him, even to the point where he began to eat what he was feeding the pigs. I mean, it just gotten bad. And so he's sitting there one day, wallowing in his sorrows, both physically and metaphorically, probably. He's just there wallowing in his sorrows, and he realizes, man, my dad's servants, they do far better than this. I'll go to my dad. I'll go back to my father. I'll, I'll apologize, and maybe he'll at least let, allow me to be 
A lowly, lowly servant. You see, this in the story, the son finds him in a place where he never thought that he would be. Remember, he had it all figured out. He had his plans. He is going to do it his way. That sounds familiar sometimes, right? We had it figured out. It was going to go like this. But that's how sin works. Sin takes you farther than you ever thought that you would go. Disobedience, a continual life of disobedience takes you farther, far more, farther down, farther than you would ever thought, ever want to go. So not only do we have a lost son, but we have a, we have a son who has made terrible choices. Even among the terrible choices, this story helps us see the, the love of God. As the story continues, we know that the son comes to his senses and tells himself that he'll go back home. And look at, look at verse 17. It says that he came to his senses and said, How many of my father's hired servants have, fed, have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. And then the, the story continues, and we get to verse 20. In my opinion, verse 20 is probably one of the most profound scriptures in all of the Bible. Just in this little verse, there's so much jam-packed in here that describes, that describes God, describes who we are in the eyes of God. But look at the first part of verse 20. It says, so he, what? Got up. He got up and went to his father. Perhaps he gave himself a pep talk. Maybe he rehearsed the apology to his father. Over and over. Maybe he wondered if anyone would even talk to him once he returned. We don't know what went through his mind, but we know that a simple action that would change his life forever, he got up. And this is what we know is joy begins with just one step towards the Father. Joy can start with just one step towards I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what you come in here with, what sort of baggage you come in here with. I don't know what sadness you've experienced. I don't know what past life choices keep on running through your mind and running through your heart. But I know that you can experience joy, and it begins with just one step towards the Father. Just one step can, can put you on the road towards healing, towards forgiveness, towards joy. The son had no idea. The son had no idea just how much the father loved him. And look at the rest of verse 20. Again, if people would ask you, hey, what's, what's God all about? What's this whole Christianity thing all about? Read them Luke 15, verse 20. And you say, well, I thought it was John 3, 16. Well, yeah, that one too, but this, one, this, one, this one's really good as well. He had no idea how much the father loved him. But look at this. But while he was still a long way off. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. I'm going to leave that up just for a little bit because I want you, I want you to see that. We don't, know, we don't know the time. We don't know if he left for a week. It's got to be longer than that. It takes a long time to squander through some money, I would I think, you know. 
I, I, I'm sure some people could go through it pretty quick, you know. If you, but, but think about it. Even if you're buying like planes and cars and all that stuff, I mean, you got there's transactional time. You got You can't just go buy a plane. You got to order it and it's got to come in, right? So, I mean, you just can't happen in a week. You know, at least a, a few weeks or a few months that you got to th- things take time. I mean, especially if you're buying a new car, you know, you want all the options. So it takes time for that stuff to come in, right? The chrome and all that thing. So this is, it's been a good little bit of time has passed by. But scripture says, while he was still far off, the father saw him. Y'all, that's powerful stuff. I don't know if you got, I don't know if I've convinced you that this is a powerful scripture in the Bible. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to convince you. But what we know is there was a son who said, Dad, I wish that you were dead. Dad, I know the better way. And we see a son who came back to the father and a father who's been looking for him ever since the son left. The father wasn't in the barn and saying, who's that? What? Oh, so-and-so's coming. Oh, let me go. Let me go. Yeah. He wasn't around back. He wasn't busy with the animals. I imagine he was sitting on the porch like this. Sir, what are you doing? I'm looking for my son. I know that he said he wished that I was dead. I know he took my money, but I know he's coming back. And when he comes back, I want to be here waiting for him. That's the image I get of this father sitting on this porch, just waiting, looking down that long drive. And he says he ran. Now, in this culture, men never ran. It's considered undignified. See, that's why I don't run a lot. It's undignified. <laughs> right? You guys can use that. Next time someone says, hey, let's go for a run. No, it's undignified. <clears throat> but the father loved his son so much, it doesn't, didn't matter what was dignified or undignified. He ran he wanted to be near him. And so the response that we get, if you, you know this scripture, you can, read, you can read on, but the response we get is he throws his arms around him and he calls for a party. He says, man, get the, good, get, get the best robe, put a ring on his finger, kill the fatted calf. We are going to have a party. He's saying, I'm no longer sad my son is, is no longer dead. He's alive. He is home. And so we know that joy begins with one step towards God. And then we also know, this is the next truth I want you to see, joy continues when we realize it's about relationship and not rules. It's about relationship and not rules. Because we talked about the son who squandered his money. We talked about the son who made terrible decisions. But the father has another son, a son who never left, a son who never requested his inheritance so he could run off and party, a son who has always followed the rules, a son who has always been in church, a son who has always lived a life of holiness, a son who's never gone to the movies and never drank and never smoked and never even hung out with girls that did all that thing. We have a son that always followed the rules. Old time Nazarenes can remember that one. He always followed the rules. He hears a party going on. He asks, what's going on? They say, hey, your brother's back home, man. Your dad is going wild. He is? Yeah. Your son came back home and 
He's went out and we had to go get the robe and the ring and, and he told me to go fill the, kill the fatted calf. Your dad is just going crazy. And the son said, hmm. Why would he do all that for a son who doesn't follow the rules? And he goes to the father and he asks, I've never received a party. I've followed all the rules. I know what holiness is. I've been sitting in this church pew. I've been doing this. I've been doing that. I've taught every Sunday school lesson there ever was in the book. Nobody gave me a party. Look at verses 31 and 32. My son, the father says, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So we have to remember that God wants a relationship with you and I. He doesn't not looking for robots to follow rules. He's not looking for believers to do a checklist to see how holy we are. He's looking for love. He's looking for intimacy. And yes, the older son was obedient, but there was no intimacy there. He was physically present, but his heart was far from the father. And it could be that there's some here, some of you here today who have, who have drifted. Oh yeah, you still sit in the church pew. Yeah, you still show up and you check off that box. You do what the pastor has asked you to do and, and you serve here and you do this, but is it based in relationship or is it based in, well, this is just what I always do. This makes me feel good. Uh, I just know that this is the right thing to do. And I realized that there was a generation, there was a generation that understood holiness as checkboxes, that understood holiness as, well, you got to, you know, make sure you wear your long sleeves. And I can't believe that pastor doesn't even wear a suit anymore. Right? He's actually wearing $20 Target shoes again today. He's not even wearing dress shoes. What in the world has happened to our church? But that's where we were at one time. Holiness was about check boxes. It was about what were you, what, what, what you were not doing. It was like, hey, look at me. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. I must be holy. And you can ask, well, what are you doing? Well, I don't know, but I'm not doing that. <laughs> are you loving your neighbor? I don't know who my neighbor is. They're kinda, they kind of get on my nerves. They don't cut their grass right. But I'm not doing this, preacher. What about the coworker? Do you do you do you talk to them? I don't talk to them. They're they're sinners. They they drink on the weekends. I don't hang out with them. I don't do that, Pastor. But for for a long time, that was our sense of like what it was to be holiness. And we forgot that it's about relationship. It's not about rules. How many have filled a church pew but still miss the relationship with Jesus? Listen to this, folks. Proximity doesn't equal intimacy. Just because you're close, just because you're here, 
doesn't always mean that you have a strong and a vibrant and a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It could be that you've drifted. It could be that you've allowed things to, to you've allowed rules, you've allowed tradition to kind of get in the way. And we, we, we experience joy when we, when we take a step towards God and that joy continues. When we realize it's about relationship and not rules. I'm also convinced that, man, there's joy when we bring others with us. Amen? There's, there, there's joy when we, we, we've, we've experienced the gospel in such a way that it changes our lives that we want to share it with someone else. Think about that person who shared the gospel with you. Think about that person who told you about Jesus. Think about that person who lived just, just this beautiful life of following Jesus, and you look at them and said, I want to, man, I want to follow Jesus like that. Man, they had this joy about who Jesus was, this joy about how the gospel would change your life that they were wanting to bring along everyone they could. There's joy in bringing people along with us. You know, there's, there's a, I'm, I'm going to, I may make some of you mad at me, but it's okay. We talked about anger last week, so you can flip a table or something if you don't like it. <clears throat> but there's an old song that we all like. There's a verse in there that I've always kind of, mm, I mean, I'll sing it because I don't want to cause a lot of controversy, but, you know. But this, the, the old hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus. Great song. But then there's that verse that says, though none go with me. Still, I will follow. See, we all know it. We all sing it. And, and I get what the hymn writer is wanting to say. It's like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be firm no matter what. And, and I think that, that's what the hymn writer was trying to express. But, man, for me, man, if none go with me, man, that burdens me. Yeah, I'm going to still follow, but we shouldn't rest in that. Well, bless God, preacher. They don't want to do that. I'm just going to keep on going. Hopefully we have a relationship with Jesus that is attractive. That when you're around, people are like, oh man, I'm so glad Chandler's here. Man, he's just, just brightened the day. I'm so glad I get to see Bobby. And, and just something about being around individuals like this, it just, just changes my life. It just makes me feel different. We should, our, our relationship with Jesus should have some attractional value to it. And so it bothers me if none's going with me. I'm like, oh, let's come on. How can, we, how can we reach those who need to hear the gospel? So as we begin to wrap it up, do you want to experience joy today? You can experience joy by taking advantage of the gift that the Father has given us. Maybe you're like that son. You thought you had it all figured out. You wanted to do things your way. You thought you knew better than what than, than you thought you knew better than, than what Scripture says that we should do. And you've gone your own way and you feel like that you're far off. Guess what? The Father is here. The Father has been waiting for you to turn around. I'll tell you about the God that we serve. 
His love is perfect. Nothing you could do, nothing that you could ever do to make him love you more. Nothing you could do to make him love you, make him love you, love you less. Nothing you could ever do. There's no place that you go that his love, that his grace cannot reach. He loves us. He loves us with this perfect love. And so no matter why you left, no matter where you went, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've become, God is inviting you to come home. He's waiting to forgive you and to love you. One writer puts it this way. We serve a God who loves with a a reckless love. We hear that word and it kind of makes us pause a little bit. Well, yeah, God's not... God's not haphazard. That's not what the writer's trying to say. When, when, and when the writer says it's a reckless love, it means it's a love that will go through any barrier, that will go to any degree to reach you. And so whether you've kind of turned this whole thing into rule following, whether you've drifted off this way or that way, whether you've never even come to the Lord in faith ever in your life, would you please know that the God that we serve here at Canton Nazarene is a God of love, who is a God who has been waiting to fill your life with joy, to bring, to bring wholeness to your broken situation. Because he is a God who loves to the fullest. And he's reaching out, wanting to reach out to you. So let's stand as we sing this. The altars are open. I know we're supposed to social distance and we will. I'll wear a mask. We can pray together. But it could be that someone today wants to experience all the great, the love of God and and just experience what it is to be welcomed home. Because folks, what you've always done, that's not what it's about. Let's experience God's love who reaches us and is ready to welcome us back. Amen.